This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Guy Cavallo, the Small Business Administration's Deputy Chief Information Officer. Guy, thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, glad to do it, Jason. The Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program is one one of my favorite programs that I've gotten to cover over the last you know eight eight nine years or so, and what the Small Business Administration and you guys have been doing over the last two or three years is really innovative in, in many ways. So, in case of people who are listening aren't quite familiar with your approach, talk about how SBA has approached CDM over the past year, and maybe give me a sense of why this is so innovative compared to maybe other approaches across government. We wholeheartedly agree with the objectives of the CDM program and the need to have that enterprise cross-government view and protection. So as we've been aggressively migrating SBA to the cloud, we quickly observed that the cloud had some pretty impressive cybersecurity capabilities that are difficult to replicate on-premise. So when we initially launched our, our cloud, we we're not aware that that would be where we'd end up with cybersecurity. But once we got our feet wet and saw it was capable, we went all in with it. For And there were a number of reasons for that. Uh, one is that we, we saw through an earlier pilot that we did with DHS and OMB on the tick, uh, which then led us to ask uh, DHS to let us do a CDM pilot. The amount of logging data that we're collecting Uh, and the ability of artificial intelligence to then go through those millions of records of logs to find vulnerabilities and attacks. We said, let's let's see if we can work towards meeting the objectives of the CDM program, but not use the on-premise architecture and products for it. And then everybody assumed that that meant that we would do something different between on-premise and the cloud. But what we did was flip that equation, and, and we said everything that we have, we're going to send the logs of it to the cloud. So not only uh, from our main cloud, but from all of our clouds, because I don't know of any agency that can just be in one cloud, plus everything on-premise, instead of trying to pull those logs down to on-premise, for traditional CDM tools, we we sent them all to the cloud to have the cloud AI technology look at that. So that's what we did that was innovative. We were very impressed by the level of detail and the amount of alerting that we were getting from having all of that information go to one place. And um, so we picked up from the tick pilot and went forward with DHS on, on this one. One of the th- key pieces here is, I think, as, as Maria wrote, your CIO, and, and you have said many times, is you made the decision to go to the cloud and you burned the bridges behind you. You didn't say, well, maybe we'll go a little bit, we'll go a, you know, a half a step or a quarter step. You went all in. And, and that almost forced you to think of, okay, how can we do this differently? Is, was, that, was that the big forcing function for SBA? Uh, It definitely was a way that allowed us to pay for that because when Maria and I both both joined SBA, we were already starting a new fiscal year and there were zero dollars in our budget to do anything for the cloud. So the only way we could fund any of of the initiatives and the architecture and the the pre-work to get uh, ready to go to the cloud was to negotiate with our chief financial officer that if if we save contracts from on-premise by turning them off, could we reinvest those funds in paying for the cloud and not have to ask for additional money? 
and he agreed to that. So it was a combination of uh, Maria's background and my background and working with the cloud from the early days. Uh, we knew what the capabilities were and we had the faith in it, but we also had to come up with a way to pay for it uh, without having to wait a whole fiscal year to try to get money. So we did uh, burn the bridges and that's how we self-funded our initial cloud effort was by turning things off on-premise such as hardware maintenance contracts for servers that we were migrating to the cloud, you know, backup software for those servers, different types of monitoring agents that we had. We, we inherited 38 security tools when we got here and uh, we never could get a clear answer on why we had 38. Was that too high, too low? And when we investigated them, we saw that a lot of them were very niche tools that only looked at one thing and didn't give us the enterprise view. So, so we also turned off a bunch of those tools to be able to fund our, our cloud effort. And then once we were in the cloud, the cybersecurity capabilities just kept taking off. Every, uh, every week we saw enhancements and that just reinforced that we were headed down the right path. And the key here as well for SBA was once you got it in the cloud and you saw all the tools and all the capabilities, you just had to show to DHS and, and OMB that you were still getting the same outcome. And I think that's, that's the, the key driver here is what are you getting from these tools from being in the cloud versus on-prem? Walk me through that decision or that, that discussion around outcomes versus tools. That took a while to negotiate because, uh, again, starting from where the federal government was and, and DHS needing to step up quickly and trying to get everybody up to a level playing field, uh, the ideal way to do that is to dictate an architecture and a set of tools and say you will use these or you might have a choice between A, B, and C, but you're not going to be able to use A through Z. And again, just with the capabilities and the way of the cloud, we just saw that that we should be able to replicate or even exceed what we could get from the on-premise items. So, you know, definitely we were tied to the objectives all the way from you know, the hardware asset management part of CDM, the configuration management, uh, managing accounts, all all four phases. Uh, we wanted to make sure that our approach would cover all four of those and not be tied to an on-premise architecture. And, and one problem with the on-premise architecture is the amount of data that every device generates. You know, we're, we're collecting data from every laptop, every tablet, every server, every virtual machine, every router, every cloud uh, that we're in and, and, and tying those clouds together. It's just a tremendous amount of data that would require extensive hardware on-premise to deal with, and we'd constantly be buying more disk space where with the cloud we're able to just keep expanding our usage and pay a fraction of the cost of owning the hardware ourselves. So it was a combination of all of that working together that that showed us that this definitely was the right way to go and that we could meet all the objectives and the, and the capabilities, but not use the existing tool set from the earlier CDM architecture. One of the big complaints that I heard over the years leading up to the change in approach for DHS probably in 2016 or so was the how rigid it was. You had to buy, as you said, this set of tools. Mm -hmm. Because you guys were moving so much to the cloud, because you were going off-premise, did that conversation with DHS, did you have to prove to them how you would be able to do the same thing, just not necessarily with those same tools? 
walk me through some of those discussions as you know, that, that were happening two or three, four years ago. We had lots of discussions about feeding the Federal Archer dashboard, and that's where we kept saying, but that's really not the objective of protecting the federal government, not feeding a consolidated dashboard, but leveraging the data to protect an agency. So we had many, many meetings with, okay, everything that we're doing in the cloud is really cool, but how does DHS leverage that data into the existing, you know, uh, rigid architecture? And we ended up proposing three alternatives there that would allow us to do what we're doing and still allow DHS meet, to meet the objectives. One was that, that we shared with them our cloud dashboard so that, so that as soon as we had data going into our, our log analytics, uh, they could also see the log analytics and get basically, you know, what they were looking for in their Archer dashboard from it. So that was something that, that we could implement on day one or whenever the decision is made. We also said another alternative was if they wanted to position analysts here in our in our SOC to be able to be on-prem with us versus having us ship the data down to the DHS data center, that that would also be something that they could implement immediately. And then the third option was if, if they really liked what we're doing and wanted to expand it to other agencies, uh, most of the tools that we're using have the ability to send dual feeds to multiple locations. So we suggested that they could set up their own cloud environment mimicking what we did and take their own feed from us and then any other agencies that followed our path. They would also be able to con uh, consolidate all of those feeds in one place and basically do what they were trying to do with the uh, with the Archer dashboard by getting all the logs from everybody into one place. So those three options are still on the table, and we're working through that with them. But they, you know, now that they've awarded a new a new CDM dashboard contract, they've asked us to help advise that vendor and and continue to part participate with them in that evolution. And so we are we are even though our pilot finished in the summer, we are we are still working with them on what's the path forward to make all this work across government. Let me be clear, your pilot finished the summer, but you didn't stop doing what you're doing. This is still happening in the cloud today. You're still looking at the data. You're still looking through, looking for threats and vulnerabilities, correct? Yes, we are using it as our primary protection tool for, for SBA, not, not the traditional uh, CDM Archer dashboard. We have that in place, too, so that we would comply with them, but my SOC is, is not uh, using that. Uh, as their tool to monitor SBA, they're using uh, what we built in the cloud, and we did we did build dashboards to help mimic the traditional CDM implementations, so that they could look at behave, they could look at credentials, they could look at privileged, they could look at the bounty, they could look at each of the things that they have. But we built that more to show them the capability. I said, right now, my team leverages the alerting of. Uh, someone signing in in two different places within five minutes of each other. The the artificial intelligence alerts are what's driving us to protect SBA uh, each day versus what we see on one of these dashboards. But we did um, work hand-in-hand -hand with them to build those dashboards to show them what a cloud view of the uh, you know, of the current goals of the CDM program would look like in a cloud dashboard. 
We have to take a break. My guest today is Guy Cavallo, the Deputy Chief Information Officer of the Small Business Administration. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Guy Cavallo, the Deputy Chief Information Officer of the Small Business Administration. The work you guys are doing with the new dashboard provider, is it just based on the the your dashboards that you build internally to give them some, hey, here's what worked for us, or here's some of the ways we were able to pull from the cloud. How much can you discuss that collaboration? One thing that our pilot really pointed out to both sides is that the asset tracking of the traditional on-premise CDM was designed for an asset to be there permanently, you know, like a physical server uh, in a data center, and that it would be there every day. Where they were, DHS was struggling with is what do you do with cloud VMs that you turn off and on when you need them, uh, such as a surge uh, increase where you fire up five more VMs to, to serve something to the public, and then when that surge is done, you turn off four of them. So we actually help them draft a methodology of how do you track a cloud asset that's not turned on 24 hours a day. So that's definitely going to help the new vendor because that was a a hole that that existed in the current architecture. Uh, If something was not on all the time, how do you track it? How do you know that when it came back on that it was not uh, compromised or that it was the same thing and not treated as everything that's turned off and on uh, is is an attack every time it gets turned back on? So there's still a lot of work there. And again, what we tried to do and, and, and what we're doing since we're in multiple clouds, we tried to make everything cloud agnostic as far as how would we do a uh, a VM uh, tracking in, in cloud A versus cloud B so that it would work across multiple clouds. And so I said most, most agencies have a variety of different clouds and, and may not have the exact same cloud mix that we have at SBA. So that, that legwork should help the new vendor speed up that process of, of uh, incorporating cloud assets into the, into the uh, asset management tracking. That's a great explanation. I think that shows that, hey, there's a problem, there's a solution, and not just a solution for SBA, but really a solution for the rest of the government. And uh, I know we'll get to maybe some of the, that discussion, how you guys are socializing this effort. Before I do that, let's talk benefits. We, we realize that it's easier, it's less on-prem. There are things about the, the data that's making it, it helpful for SBA to understand threats and vulnerabilities. But when you look back or when you look forward, what are some of those major benefits to having CDM in the cloud versus on-premise? Is it cost or what? Cost is one factor, but I think the amount of cyber protections that we're getting is really the key. You know, as, as being the SBA, we have a lot of PII data over thousands and thousands of small businesses in the country and, so, and, and millions, really, and protecting, protecting those, uh, that data uh, the visibility of what we have and what we're being attacked on uh, and how we're stopping attacks and how the AI is alerting us to something happening that, that a human analyst wouldn't see. That's been really been the big benefit to us because uh, that's really our, our goal is we're, we're not doing this because it's cool or even if it's uh, cheaper or more expensive, the real, the real driver for us is, is this the best way 
for us to protect all, all of those millions of, of small businesses and their sensitive data and our billions of small business loan portfolios that would be very big target for somebody to try to hack overseas and, and drain from that. So it, that's really what's driven us to do this. And, and the evolution of the cloud technologies uh, just keeps enhancing it every every day. So like as I mentioned earlier, our, our analysts are using uh, what we built with the cloud monitoring uh, versus the traditional CDM dashboard to protect things that, that the CDM program doesn't show. Uh, one big culture change for SBA is why we've had the directive from DHS for people not to take their government-furnished laptops or cell phones overseas unless they are cleared to the physical security office. People were doing it just because they're dedicated workers. They would take it with them on vacation and go over to Europe or or Australia or someplace. And we really didn't know that they did that and that we were exposed to foreign telecom connections, possibly planning malware or, or listening uh, software on a device. Uh, now, since we see that and we're alerted, if uh, any of our devices show up overseas that weren't properly cleared, we quickly shut down the device and inform the manager that your employee has gone overseas with government furnished equipment that was not cleared to go overseas. So when they come back, we're going to have to do a full security scan and, and possibly wipe of the machine. It's really changed our culture here at SBA where uh, our physical security office is getting a lot more requests for taking equipment overseas ahead uh, of people taking it where before, like I said, we just didn't even know it was happening. And I know talking to you and some of your colleagues over the last year or two, you also know when, for instance, the NCAA basketball tournament, that there's a spike in people watching on their computers, or you know when there's a spike of other kind of interesting, like if, if the president talks or if there is something happening in Congress, you see those spikes too, and you can adjust as needed, uh, whether it's shutting down potentially, you know, somebody watching the game while at their office or, or turning it up if you need more compute because of an emergency. So that also is giving you more information to make better decisions. Absolutely. We've, we've been able to uh, turn off things and get bandwidth back because, uh, you know, being the SBA, we also provide external uh, public internet access at many of our facilities that also, you know, drains our our connections, so we we don't need to be paying for somebody sitting at a uh, coffee shop next to the SBA office watching Netflix off of our public Wi-Fi to to uh, you know to impact the connectivity to that office. So yeah, it, it definitely has made a change, and and now we have that visibility. Um, what one of the biggest impacts I've seen on our team is that when we get a request from DHS that there's some um, let's say product X that that is uh, now a threat to the agency, and and they want all the agencies to look for it through your inventory and report back what you find before we turned on the cloud tools. That would be a multi-week expedition, and whatever results we had, we would have a 50/50 chance that they were even accurate. Uh, now, because we have logs of everything and we see everything, we're able to to generate that report in a matter of minutes and get back to DHS within an hour of, yes, we found it here at SBA and we had already um, patched it or, or whatever the, the security cause was that they wanted us to look at. Even for uh, virtual machines that were turned off that had that software sitting on it, we've been able to 
very quickly in a matter of minutes find everything. So that by itself compared to, you know, the way it used to be where it was our best guess and we really couldn't track the number to now it's a matter of minutes and just a few clicks that you don't have to be a high-level analyst to do. I mean, I've I've been able to do those searches myself as a deputy CIO. That really starts to show the impact of the protection and the speed of access to data uh, to be able to make informed decisions. Let's talk a little bit about the, the speed to decision because I think that's one of the big keys that I hear about CDM. I did a story back in 2017 about the WannaCry virus and how DHS, this was the, really the first time they were able to use the CDM tools to say how many agencies had Windows 7 machines and how many, you know, what, what do we need to do to turn them off or whatever, patch them? How have you guys used the same thing to make other decisions, whether it's cyber-related or even just mission-related? Because now you have the information, as you mentioned, at your fingertips. Having that accurate inventory, Jason, outside of the cyber role, one thing is that uh, it's done is it's allowed me to right-size our software because now that I have an accurate inventory that's not coming from six different competing inventory tools but from one that's based on the logs of the machine, I've been able to, to cut back the number of licenses that we paid for a number of vendors and in other cases increased the number of licenses. But overall, to the agency, it's been a reduction and our software spend where people were guessing how many licenses we needed to be in compliance, but now we can actually measure it to the individual. So like I said, totally outside of cyber, that's been uh, something that's helped us with closing our Megabyte Act of 2016 software audit findings, where that was the whole point of the Megabyte Act was to make sure that the agency had a handle on its software and wasn't buying it multiple times. We're We've been able to to, uh, help the agency and the program offices stop wasting money on buying, not only buying too many licenses, but having us buy three licenses of the same product for the same person because nobody was sure that they were covered and they wanted to be make sure that we were licensed properly, so multiple offices bought the same license. So that has been a tremendous uh, impact just on the financial waste, which we want to eliminate, but also making sure that we're not cheating any of our software vendors and that we're paying them for what what uh, we're using and, and, uh, and not being under a threat of being sued for running illegal software. Well, I said overall, the, the visibility uh, has really helped uh, helped us change the way people operate, and it provides all the program offices uh, a better view of why some of the security policies that we have here are in place. Uh, Whenever Marie and I take our cyber dashboard to the executives of the agency and give them a quick demo of how many times we're being attacked from all over the world each day, each hour, and how we've been able to protect that, it... uh, it does help us reinforce the uh, the message that that cyber should not be thought of as something that's a roadblock to getting your mission done. It done. It's something that we all have to do, protect that important citizen data, and maybe we have to change some of our business practices to uh, align with what the, the cyber threat is. But it's been, I said, it's it's been interesting to to see the impact on the culture of the SBA program offices and the employees as as we've highlighted to them just how serious a threat this is. They all knew that, you know, they read about the hacks of, 
as we've all read in the private sector, the multi-million you know, records that are stolen here and there, but uh, being able to show them that, hey, his, this is where SBA is also being attacked constantly, uh, and you have to be on guard that, that this is a threat because they want to get access to that multi-billion dollar loan portfolio. It's been really, I think, eye-opening to the entire agency. At the same time, it's also been really helpful for your office because you're dealing with shadow IT or someone trying to plug into the network, and all of a sudden you can be like, whoa, 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 slow down. <laughs> you can't quite do that anymore. Uh, have you guys also It's been it created conversations where you know, instead of just, well, we'll do this and we won't tell the IT folks, but people have come to you and be like, hey, we want to use this tool or we want to get this type of capability and and you guys in the CIO office can be like, oh, you know who has that capability already? This program office, we can just add a license or help you, you know, use it. Has it also changed in terms of that type of discussion? Definitely, there's growth there. They're they're uh, just like many agencies. Maria and I don't even have a third of the IT staff in the SBA reporting to us. So the other two thirds will have their favorite products or favorite products that they're most familiar with that they'd like to use that perhaps we've invested in a cloud tool that does not only that, but much more so. There, there is still a learning curve there. Luckily, we have an architectural review board process and a um, ITAR review process for procurements that allow Maria and me and the whole CIO team to sign off on any IT acquisition over 50K. But I also know that if somebody gave me 49K, uh, with my experience, I could do a lot of damage uh, and set up another renegade cloud and everything and stay within that 50K. So we're working closely with the program offices to change that culture and, and to get everybody on board. That That is a long-term evolution to uh, to be successful because in the past it's been very siloed and, and there's been no real uh, enterprise-wide oversight. So if an office wanted to buy the fourth version of the same BI tool that three other offices have, they could do that and nobody was watching that. So it, the increased visibility, Jason, is what allows us to make better informed decisions and to have those discussions uh, and not and like I said now if somebody does buy something and surprises us yes as soon as they try to turn it on or plug it in we get our dashboards all going crazy and very quickly discover it before they uh, before it can be added to the network. Is there an example you would maybe feel comfortable giving me about a time when the dashboard either stopped a threat or stopped that type of you know, potential vulnerability because somebody added or is about to add something. Give me an example of maybe something, if you can, something, quote, unquote, real life, that not, not just at this high level that like, oh, well, we can see stuff now, but anything comes to mind? About a year ago, we had an incident where an IT professional with system admin rights plugged in a USB drive that had uh, hacker tools on it. And as soon as that drive got added to the machine and the uh, data started going to the to our, our dashboards. It set off all types of alarms that, that this USB device USB device with somebody who had elevated privileges so would be able to load or activate it had just uh, happened and we were able to catch that within minutes and and uh, I can say that employee is no longer with the agency. Uh, so so yeah that that's that's just one real-life example. 
And, and that's a really great one because that's, you know, if you would have found this out six weeks from now, six months from now, that data may have been gone. That data may have been used for, for really, obviously, uh, a bad purposes. So the fact you're able to stop it within minutes is uh, a testament to both the tools, but also the fact that you guys have took, took that chance to put them in. We have to take a break. My guest today is Guy Cavallo, the Deputy Chief Information Officer of the Small Business Administration. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Guy Cavallo, the Deputy Chief Information Officer of the Small Business Administration. You've done great work today. What are you going to do for me tomorrow? Right? How are you going to continue to expand and improve the CDM tools and capabilities in the cloud? AI, machine learning, you guys are already using some of it. Where else does that fit in? What's 2020 look like for uh, SBA and CDM? For us, uh, the next step is that this is all based on, on the layers of defense network that we have now in the WAN and MTIPS. Our next step is to take all of this to convert uh, every one of the 115 different SBA locations to zero trust networking and break apart from everything being connected and once you're on the SBA network you're you're trusted to not trust anything and because of the cloud tools that we're using those cloud tools will allow us to in effect be the tick for each one of those 100 plus locations and see the same dashboards that we're using now uh, along with the traditional mtips approach so that for us is going to be a revolutionary change and um I think it'll just, the work that we've done to get to this point allows us to take that next step to implement a zero trust network. Uh, if we had, if we tried to do all this at once, it would have been very difficult because we would not have had the trust in the cloud-based uh, CDM and tech capabilities that we've evolved to say that, yeah, that works. We'd still want to bring everything back to a central choke point to have it filtered. Uh, where now we're not going to need to do that with what we're implementing. So that's our next step uh, with this is to is to modify the way we connect everybody and uh, implement that zero trust networking uh, capability. From an implementation standpoint, 115 different offices, it's a lot to do. do you, have you laid out certain ones, like we're going to try the East Coast first and move it west, or you have you picked and choose larger offices and smaller offices to test this out or where we passed the test phase and you were into the you know implementation full production phase? No, that's a good question. We we have picked a handful of offices that are all different sizes and different regions to try this out first. So, you know, we're looking at moving between five and six to this model first, evaluating the results from that. And then assuming that that's successful, then we'll work out an implementation uh, implementation plan for the rest of the sites. Uh, what it would allow us to do also is replace MTIP circuits at each location with whatever the the best for that area, cable modem or business business uh, business connectivity for that for that area uh, between the vendors, so that by not having to only have one vendor across the whole country, we can pick uh, the the best cable provider for that area that provides business services. So it's also going to greatly reduce our telecom bill as a side effect of that. So you're right, we wanted to test this out in multiple locations first before we make the enterprise commitment to it. And that's what we're going to be doing over the rest of this fiscal year. Probably going to take us 
two years total, assuming that those tests go well uh, before we would finish implementing it because there are so many office locations. Um, but we're very excited about the possibility. It's like we we now see the end of the tunnel of what the visibility is, so now it's changing the underlying architecture to uh, to go to a zero trust network with that with those capabilities. The goal here when we talk zero trust is, as you mentioned, instead of just logging on to the network and then you're trusted, it's more of a roles, responsibilities. Uh, really, what attributes do you have? What are you allowed to see? What are you allowed to, to you know read? What are you allowed to write? That's that's the end goal here with, through zero trust. Is, am I correct? Yes, you're you're correct. And a lot of people talk about getting to zero trust, but this seems like a, a huge first step. What's it going to mean to SBA to not just move, use these CDM tools and capabilities and expand them out, but what will it mean to SBA from a cybersecurity perspective when, when, if you can get toward that zero trust or get actually to zero trust? Right now, we, we have a, a, a nationwide wide area network that was designed and built in the 90s, so it's more of a hub-and-spoke model because at that time, the cost of uh, networking was so expensive, so the decision was made that that would be the right approach. Today, it's the exact wrong approach because what I'm seeing now is if that hub office happens to be one that that, uh, gets a fiber cut or goes offline, not only do we lose that one office, we might lose six, seven, eight state offices around that same office because there's that one single point of failure. So first of all, what that does is, is it gives every office is its own single point of failure. If I lose one office, I'm only going to lose one office. Uh, so that architectural design is radically different from from what we've done before. And like I mentioned, instead of paying uh, an MTIPS uh, price penalty to have the tick filtering done there, we're, we'll be able to use our cloud tick implementation to provide that filtering um, which which will then increase our throughput, reduce our latency, and um, allow each office to be more of a standalone. But but yeah, it, it's it's a lot of work, which is why I'm saying it's probably going to take us, uh, you know, two 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 and a half of fiscal years to get through that and get every office changed. One of the things that SBA has been really great about over the last couple of years is you guys are so open to talking about this effort. There's a lot of details that maybe we don't know yet or a lot of details that are still sensitive, but you guys have really done a nice job of getting out and, and talking about the lessons you've learned. So let's just, instead of going over all of them, let's just talk about one or two of the biggest lessons you learned and what advice maybe you would give to other agencies as, as you've presented this. I think something like, I think last time we talked, Guy, something like 400 times you've made the presentation or something to that effect uh, around what you guys have been doing in the cloud. Yeah, not not 400 times, 400 attendees, but but it feels sometimes it feels like we've presented it 400 times. The good news I want the team to know is that that we did write an extensive report with DHS that was co-signed both by Kevin Cox, the head of the CDM program, and Maria Rote, our, our CIO at SBA, that went through the pilot with a tremendous amount of data behind it and some sensitive data. So the decision was made at that point that that would only be shared at a limited level um, versus being in the public. So we went back to DHS and said, you know, can we do a compressed version of this or a condensed version of this that can be shared with the public? And I'm happy to report to your audience that Maria and Kevin have signed off on a nine- or ten-page version 
of it that includes the entire executive summary and some of the data that can be public uh, that I think will be very helpful for anybody to see. So I'm hoping that within the next few weeks that will be available to everyone. But then, as you mentioned, Jason, we've been demoing this uh, usually at least once a month. It's a three- to four-hour demo here because we get so many questions and there's so much to show about the visibility. Uh, and we've, we're probably up to about 500 individuals that have seen it now. Uh, Maria wrote and I went to the Coast Guard and, and, and did a town hall with their IT professionals across the world uh, highlighting how did we do this so fast and what our recommendations were to them. So we're, we're eager to share. We also get, by us sharing, we have people share back with us because we don't have all the answers. So that's one reason we like doing it. And um, like I said, I, I will commend uh, Kevin Cox and his team and, and the, the, the Sean Connolly and the TIC team at DHS. Uh, you know, we really pushed their envelope about, you know, work with us and partner with us to do this. And instead of saying, no, we're, we're DHS and you will do it our way or else, they were incredibly cooperative. And, and uh, you know, and, and I know we, we moved their cheese on them by, by doing this, but I commend them for being open to that. So definitely across government, the more we can share improvements like this, it'll help each agency, you know, become more cyber secure, save money, and, and and really improve the delivery of our citizen services across government, which is what motivates me to come in every day. All right. Very nice. Again, this was innovative. This was a, a smart risk, and it paid off in, in a big way. So, uh, Guy, I really do appreciate your time today. So let me thank you for your time. Guy Cavallo is the SBA Deputy Chief Information Officer. Uh, Guy, thanks again for your time. Thank you, Jason. Enjoyed it. We have to take a break. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. For this part of the show, we continue to talk about cybersecurity, but we shift over to the Homeland Security Department, where Kevin Cox is the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation, or CDM, program manager. Cox starts off by describing the new AWARE initiative. So what AWARE stands for is Agency-Wide Adaptive Risk Enumeration. It's, it's an algorithm that we've developed working with agencies who have done similar uh, efforts, uh, Department of State, Department of Justice, where they're looking to get, at a most basic level, just a, a good understanding of the security posture of the agency, of, of the overall attack surface of the agency, on some very basic measurements, things like vulnerability management, configuration management, et cetera. So what we're doing with AWARE is you have an algorithm that looks at all the assets in the agency on each of those assets, uh, uh, compiling all of the vulnerabilities those assets have, misconfigurations those assets have, and then through the algorithm, through some uh, different factors, including uh, weighting based on age, on criticality, et cetera, you create an AWARE score for the entire agency. You can then also uh, get a, an AWARE score, an average AWARE score for each individual endpoint, uh, an endpoint as a, a server, a laptop, something along those lines in the agency, so that you can then compare endpoint to endpoint the, that average score across the federal landscape to understand how everybody is doing uh, compared to one another. So what AWARE is measuring is, again, at, these basic, at the basic level, vulnerability management, configuration management. These are areas that the adversaries are, are attacking or exploiting to get into the agency network. They're, they're trying to get in 
to uh, systems, to endpoints that aren't patched well or not configured well. So what we're trying to do is measure how well each agency is doing in terms of managing their vulnerabilities, how they're managing patching, how they're managing configuration. And then that will give us a sense of, is an agency doing well? Are they shrinking their attack surface? Or does this agency need some additional help because they're not getting things patched quickly enough or they're not properly configured? And then this will allow us to see agency to agency as well as across the federal landscape where those agencies are that are doing really well in these areas and how they might be able to share some lessons learned uh, with the other agencies who might need some help. And so what we have in place today uh, in the current dashboard, we already have the AWARE algorithm built. So we have data flowing in from the agencies, from the agency dashboard summarized up to the federal dashboard, and that data is already flowing through the AWARE algorithm. Now, one of the key things that we've started since 19, FY19, and then continuing, continuing forward is really the operationalization of, of all of the CDM data. We've put, worked with agencies to get tools out there for them. We want to help them operationalize that data to help them uh, use the data to manage their risk. And so that's really what the, the core of AWARE is about, is, is that operationalization. In order to operationalize the data, and this is one of the big drivers we have this year and, and going on into 21 and, and, and forward, is ensuring that you have good data quality end-to-end. -end. So from uh, each sensor that is on each laptop or server out in the environment, all the way up through the agency dashboard, all the way up through the federal dashboard, that you've got good reportability of that data from sensor to dashboard and good timeliness. So even though we have data flowing through the AWARE algorithm today, we have, I, I think the total is like 38 different agencies with AWARE scores in place today, we don't yet have the data where we want it, where we, we know that there's good data quality from the ground level all the way up through the dashboard so that we can start to, to help the agencies measure their, their performance of their, their systems and then also at the federal level that we can compare agency to agency. So that's an effort we have underway working with the agencies, working with the system integrators to ensure that there is good data quality all the way through, uh, that we have the data that we see at the federal level lines up with the data that the agency is seeing, that they're comfortable with the data that's being reported. And so that's a, a, a real priority effort for us right now and on in through the rest of the year and into 21 uh, to uh, get the data quality where it needs to be, uh, get the certification in place that each agency is comfortable with their data, that we're comfortable with the agency's data, and we can fully utilize the AWARE scores going forward. All right, plenty to talk about. Kevin, uh, really appreciate your time today. Let me thank my guest. Kevin Cox is the program manager for the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program at the Homeland Security Department. Kevin, it's always a pleasure to catch up. Thanks for your time. You bet. Thank you, Jason. That's all the time we have for today. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.